Welcome in. Dave Johnson here. It's the WTLB Huddle. Ben Ravy, it's always good to see him. We love hearing him on the air. We love hearing him on Washington Capitals broadcast, especially where the Capitals are, are playing right now. I, I feel another Stanley Cup coming, but I can say that because I don't do it every day. I just cheer on the, the team. Rob Woodford is with us and, and Dave Preston. Uh, guys, they, they tell me the NFL draft is, is a big deal, and it's this week. And uh, I've gone through all 1,252 mock drafts that are available on the web, which by the way, should be outlawed because I don't, I don't even remember what we're picking now, but we, I do know we're the 19th pick Washington has a 19th pick. And I recommend it on WTLP.com. We'll start with Dave Preston, Dave Preston's wonderful article. And yes, I didn't realize this. I got this correct, right? The last time Washington had the 19th pick, it was a guy out of George Washington university. Yes, it was during the Truman administration, 1952. They chose this guy, uh, I think Andy Davis. He played one year and then uh, I think he went to the Giants, uh, was, you know, maybe spent a season there. But, uh, you know, yeah, GW used to have football, believe it or not. Well, so, uh, no, go ahead. I was just going to say why I'm so glad because Ed McKee, our wonderful friend who's retired from George Washington Athletic Department, used to pitch me story. George Washington was in the Rose Bowl. Look it up yes. or, or Google at some point. Keep in mind, Vince Lombardi was a coach at Fordham. They used to have football. Maybe they, they still do, but it was a different world. All right. So they don't coaching. have basketball. <laughs> All right. So, so you, you canceled George Washington option from your 2021 uh, draft for Washington. Did you have any thoughts uh, as you've gone through busts and, and right. analyzed the draft so well on WTLB.com? Well, I, you know, I, it's one of those things that, there are so many teams picking ahead of them. I, I, it's, you hate to use the cliche best athlete, but best, especially in the day where free agency you know, rips these guys potentially from your roster within three, four or five years, you're, you're less inclined to go for need in 2021 than you would 20 years ago. And, uh, you know, looking at three needs for this team in the offseason, pass protector as well. There's a reportedly a deal pending for uh, former Burgundy and gold guard, Eric flowers to come back to the fold. If he's back, that solves one need. They can still use a left tackle if they, uh, so if the right guy uh, drops to them, uh, I think that whoever is quarterback is going to need targets. That was one thing that was extremely lacking last year. You looked at where they ranked passing. I think they were 29th in uh, passing yards, averaging under 10 yards per completion, not per attempt, but, Per completion. So they need guys who can stretch the field a little bit. Lastly, they need guys in the back seven. I think they've done a great job recently uh, putting together a good defensive line that can really get after the quarterback. I think they need to solidify the back seven. Hopefully they find one of those three players at pick number 19. Yeah, I've heard linebacker mentioned is, is a good option, maybe for the, the Washington football team. All right, uh, next we'll, we'll go to Rob Woodfork. And I, you know, I used to try to watch NFL games. Now I just wait for Rob's column to come out about 1 a.m. every Monday morning as he uh, summarizes everything in the NFL and studies everything in the NFL better than anyone else. Uh, Rob, your thoughts on, on Washington team right now with the 19th pick? Well, uh, first of all, I, I, I can't stand a, uh, a mock draft. I mean, there's so many of them. and uh, Oh, you mate. So, no, no, man. I'm good without <laughs> that. So, yeah, I did not do a mock draft, but uh, th th there's a lot of people that are – uh, throwing around this idea that Washington's going to trade up and try to get one of those blue chip uh, five, uh, top five quarterbacks. I don't see that happening. That would run counter to everything that Ron Rivera has said and done in the year plus since he's come. So I think that they're going to go with the uh, very 
tired cliche, best player available. But I mean, that's what you do in the draft. And at 19, uh, just like Dave said, it's hard to sort of gauge who's going to slide and who's not. But I think Christian Derisaw will be there. And I think that's going to be the pick. And, uh, and if there's one thing that Washington has done in recent years, they've picked really talented local players uh, to add to their roster. And Derisaw is a guy who went to Riverdale Baptist. He's on record as saying it would be a dream come true for him to put on the burgundy and gold. And I think you want guys like that, especially you talk about what Ron Rivera wants and in terms of uh, changing a culture. I mean, who better than to have a really talented left tackle uh, out of Virginia tech that, uh, that, that already has that civic pride. So I think that would be a really good pick for them. It's a position of need. Uh, He's a terrific player uh, based on what we've seen of him. And, uh, and I think he'll be on the board there at 19. You'd love to see somebody like a Micah Parsons slide, but I don't really see that happening. I think if they end up having to go linebacker, if maybe the Vikings or somebody takes Derisaw uh, before Washington uh, can get to them, then, uh, then I could see uh, maybe a Zaven Collins uh, situation. Maybe you pick, uh, you know, pick the linebacker there to try to solidify the middle of that defense because everybody knows how good they are on the defensive fronts. That's been talked about. Uh, the back end of their defense isn't – I mean, it, it's okay. It's good. But uh, really they need to upgrade the linebacker position. So if they, uh, if they can do it at that spot – if uh, Derisaw is not on the board, I think that's the the best course of action for them. And of course, there's always the trade down option uh, if that presents itself somehow. Well, and again, the, the best player uh, available is is more than a cliche. It's fact when you're when you're 19th, uh, and it right. does depend on what happens. And it, it it even happens. I think about it in the NBA draft. All of a sudden, you realize, well, wait a minute, we didn't expect that to happen, and we may not need that position, but we really like that player, and and you go for it because it's. Right. it's And it's also worth pointing out that some of the most uh, impactful players that Washington has taken in recent years have come on day two. So I think that's something to also pay attention to because, I mean, that's where you found Terry McLaurin. I mean, Dave was talking about, you know, maybe taking a pass catcher with that first round pick. I don't think you need to. I think you can find yourself an impact player in round two or three. Well, Washington hasn't done so great in round two, <laughs> but right. round, round three has sort of been their sweet spot here lately with uh, Antonio Gibson and, uh, and with McClure in the year before that. And we've confirmed the draft will be done before minicamp in July. So that's our junior. <laughs> that's a game. Hey, Beth Ray, we love your work, not only WTLP, but Capitals Radio 24-7. We appreciate you taking the time out on game day for the Capitals and join us in the huddle. Before we talk some Capitals, your take on, on this all this draft madness. The Washington pick, anything else on your mind? By the way, good to be with you all. First time, long time here. That's right. <laughs> I, 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 was, I was hoping it might be catered uh, virtually or otherwise. That is not the case, but we made it anyway, so appreciate the invite. Uh, regarding the draft, I don't know. We're saying, uh, you know, they don't necessarily have to go for need, but here's what they need. Offensive line and linebacker help. So if that happens to fall to 19, assuming they keep that spot, I'm, I'm in that camp as well. The O-line you know, only the Eagles gave up more sacks last season and the Eagles gave up just, just a boatload last year, but the Washington was right behind him. And you look at the past two seasons, fellas, I know they've tried to fill that void since the Trent Williams fiasco, but they're the only team over the past two seasons to allow as many as 50 sacks. And if you've got Ryan Fitzpatrick this year and assuming they pass on a QB, a high rated QB this year, and they go for that potentially in 2022, you want to make sure there's something in place, some protection in place for when you do bring in the supposed future of the team under center, you look at the, 
the fiasco it was for Joe Burrow in Cincinnati this mm-hmm. season, for example. You don't want to have the quarterback and then have to worry about the offensive line after the fact. I'm in the camp. Start now. Lay the groundwork. Eventually bring somebody in, and hopefully he's able to benefit from that. All right. Well said. All right. Any other thoughts on the draft before we move to our, our next uh, topic? I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here. This may come off a little hot takey, but I'm going to say this. I think Washington only addresses their quarterback position if it ends up being a Russell Wilson, Dak Prescott, uh, Dak Prescott situation where they get lucky with somebody in round two, three, four, somewhere in there. That may be this year. It may be next year. But just based on the way that they do business and based on the way that they have uh, at least publicly valued the quarterback position, it seems like they're fine just putting in, you know, sort of patchwork veterans uh, for a time until they find that guy in the draft. So that 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 to me seems like it's kind of a I don't know. It, it, uh, to me, it's not as dangerous as uh, as trying to trade up and giving up a bunch of picks to try to get into the top five. We've seen that blow up in a lot of people's faces, Washington's included, after the RG3 situation. So. I, I, I could see them rolling the dice on a Kellen Mond if he slides in the second round or a Davis Mills or one of those guys. But um, I, I, I think if they're going to get a franchise quarterback, it's going to be a guy who we don't expect to be a franchise quarterback. All right. Well, well, uh, two things I, I like about Rob, uh, you, know, uh, you know, saying that Derrissaw might be the guy one, moving expenses. You get to save a ton. He's not moving that far. <laughs> two, I, I assume he has family and friends. That just adds to your season ticket base at FedEx Field. How about that? You win and you win. Right. I, here's a here's no here's the sort of thing Dave Preston would like is if they took Micah Parsons because the last time Washington took a Penn State linebacker mm-hmm. who wore jersey number eleven, <laughs> we all remember that twenty one years ago one Mister Levar Arrington. So uh, that that's the kind of uh, that's the kind of thing Dave Preston likes right there. All right, if nothing else, we learned that George Washington, again, remember, chair on the Colonials of football past. They were looking up there in the Rose Bowl in the last time Washington, 19th pick, as you can read on WTOP.com. He was out of George Washington, foggy bottom. That, 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 I heard your tease on sports. I almost drove off the road and I thought, good, he's got GW. (laughs) Not to be confused with Ernie Davis, though, eh? No, right. Yeah, not. A little bit different. A little bit different. All right, uh, Washington, Washington Capitals. Look, this, this team, uh, is winning in a variety of ways, it seems. And Ben Raby, you'll correct me if I'm, I'm misreading this, but they're winning with Ovechkin, winning without Ovechkin, although it's not like they've gone without him uh, that many games. Uh, and also young goaltending is coming through and, and they're not fading uh, late in the season with that young goaltending. And then you have Peter LaViolette, who seems to know his way around the block and, and how to manage a team, especially uh, with veterans. So it sets up, for an interesting spring. Is that overly optimistic? No, that's a, a very fair assessment. They, they've been, Dave, I'll say they've, they've been a very fun watch this regular season. No shortage of storylines. And here they are when the dust settles with the stretch run upon us, competing for top spot in the East Division as per usual. But this was not exactly a smooth ride when you think back to the start of the season. They had the COVID absences. They had several players who were out with injury. You had two inexperienced goaltenders, which was not necessarily the plan coming into the year, thinking back to when they signed the veteran Henrik Lundqvist in the offseason. So given all that they kind of overcame early on this season, for them to be where they are now, 
says a lot about the veteran group that they have. And I think to your point says a lot about Peter Laviolette as well, who's two decades plus into coaching at the NHL level uh, has certainly given them some, some stability in, in a lot of different areas, but they've been an enjoyable watch. And I say they're competing for top spot in the East division. This is a three, even a four horse race here. As of this recording, the top three teams only separated by four points for top spot in the division. So a whole lot still to be figured out and real quick regarding Ovechkin's absence, uh, you know, hardly a recipe for long-term success, but they are 4-0-1 without him this season. They've shown a knack in small samples. They can elevate their play. Different guys taking advantage, increased ice time again. We want him back. It'll be great when he returns. But in the short term, in the interim, they have a lot of depth and a lot of guys licking their chops at the potential, the rare opportunity for some increased ice time and opportunity. But trust me, somebody will call the post-game show and say, you know what? The Capitals are a better team without Alex Ovechkin. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that's, that's how post-game. But real quick, to that point, Ben, on, on depth. I mean, Daniel Sprong uh, scores two goals as he fills in Ovechkin. There's been a lot of stories like that this year that, you know, we've been forced to, to Google and say, who's this guy and what's he all about? Because they're making a difference for the Capitals. Exactly. And Daniel Sprong was a healthy scratch last Thursday. For context here, he's a healthy scratch. And then Ovechkin is out on Saturday. And so, boom, he gets put right into Ovechkin's spot, which was partly Laviolette saying he didn't want to disrupt the chemistry of the other three lines. So he kept the other three lines intact, and he moved Daniel Sprong up to the top line left wing position with Kuznetsov and Wilson. Good work if you could find it, but you got to make the most of it. And Sprong, to his credit, did with two goals and a win on Saturday against the Islanders. Again, is that sustainable? Is it something there for long-term success? Probably not, but with a jolt of adrenaline, at least in that one instance, he took advantage and, and a credit to Daniel Sprong for doing that. I have two questions for Ben. Now we, we, we have a chance to, I guess, kind of steal him. Uh, one, uh, goaltending. Uh, causes for confidence, causes for concern as we get towards the playoffs. And two, it felt like during the Stanley Cup run, the third and fourth lines really made the difference during those four postseason series. Do you have the confidence in the Caps third and fourth lines this spring? Yeah, the depth the, the depth with the team is, is very good. The so-called bottom six, again, they don't necessarily get the headlines. They're not the flashiest of players, but uh, a fourth line, and this is so rare, Dave, that the fourth line for the Capitals, again, maybe not household names, but a trio made up of Garnet Hathaway, Nick Dowd, and Carl Haglin, they've actually remained intact 49 consecutive games, which is just unheard of. It, it doesn't get a whole lot of attention because it's a fourth line, but given the fluidity, usually when things aren't going well, that's the place a coach will start. He'll just switch up the fourth line just to get the team's attention. Hey, it's not going well. We're, we're making changes. And usually that's the first trio that would pay the price. They haven't this year. They've been outstanding. So a lot of depth and a lot of, um, you know, a lot of confidence with that depth. As far as the goaltending, confidence, concern, I'll say this, it's the biggest question mark. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to find out what, what do we have because the, 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 the crazy thing, the stat is just, it, it, it still boggles my mind. Ilya Samsonov, who it's just a gut feel, I anticipate will be the, the postseason starter. He has never started more than two games consecutively in the NHL. And he just had a good two-game run against the Islanders. And as of this recording, it will be Vitek Vanacek who starts the next game coming up. So Samsonov has showed himself well, first round pick years ago, very high ceiling, very high potential, showed himself well when he's played. Just want a little bit more of that sample size, right? If you're going to go on a deep run, you're probably going to eventually lean on one. And my gut tells me it's Samsonov, but let's see him for more than two games in a row. Let, take, the, take the leash off, let him go a little bit. 
Oh, Dave, you're muted. <laughs> wants to be muted. It's this button here. No, and there's no two-game playoff series. And to your point, right. as right. I was recording this morning, John Walton was on with me talking about, yes, he's going to start his third straight game tonight because he expected him to start against the yeah. Islanders. And uh, I, I bet you Peter Laviolette heard that on WTOB and said, all right, I'm going to make Johnson and Walton look like idiots. And by the way, that streak of the fourth line is impressive. We can't even get the same huddle together two weeks in a row, much less 49 straight weeks. We tried. We tried. Any, uh, any other caps? Hey man, next man up, baby. Next man Healthy up. scratch. Here we are. <laughs> well, like Daniel Sprong, you're scoring two goals. All right. Uh, shall we move on to the Wizards? Oh, absolutely. Let's right. do it. Absolutely. Let me just, again, I'll, I'll, I'll just start the conversation by saying, please, please, let's all appreciate Russell Westbrook. And I'm doing it to myself, night in and out, night out saying, uh, you know, because I'm seeing this, don't think it's that easy what he's doing, where he's making triple doubles, as, as Rob uh, so eloquently put it, normalizing triple doubles. Uh, because we're about to see him break a record that Oscar Robertson set 50 years ago. I don't know if somebody else is going to come along and do it, but it clearly is something that maybe only happens once every 50 years uh, in the NBA. And that is something we need to appreciate. And like no other athlete in, in a sport that I've covered this closely, I've never seen anyone as competitive as he is. It doesn't matter if it's the first quarter of the second of a back-to-back or overtime against the San Antonio Spurs. Uh, he is trying to eke out every minute of his NBA career and perform at the best level possible and I think the tribute to him is whenever he makes a mistake, you can almost bet that it's going to be followed by a hustle rebound, a, a box out, a steal, because there's nobody that gets uh, more intensely mad about making mistakes in a game than Russell Westbrook. So please appreciate Russell Westbrook. We have something special in our town. I'll open up the floor. Rob, I'll start with you. Uh, and equally as special. No, I won't say that, but Daniel Gafford, that trade, I'm telling you, man, yeah. that has just absolutely invigorated this team. I mean, the energy that he brings in terms of uh, just the defensive prowess, uh, the rim protecting, you know, I'm going to keep singing this guy's praises, man. They're 10 and two with him in the lineup. And, uh, and I, I think they have a chance to really make some, some noise that even went, I think they're going to get in. Uh, to the uh, postseason play-in. Uh, right now, as it stands, they're in that 10th spot. They have an easier schedule, easier schedule uh, down the stretch than Chicago and uh, Toronto. Uh, so they, I think they're going to get at least that 10, maybe even slide up to nine, because they're only, a, a, I believe, a game uh, out of nine. So I think they're going to get in the play-in. I think they're going to make some noise in the play-in. And, uh, you know, I mean, let's say they see the Nets in round one. That's... Mm. That's a team that they've played well against over the course of this season. So it's going to be uh, it's going to be really interesting. If if nothing else, the Wizards are fun to watch and they are relevant. Uh, but I got to I got to say this, though. It's a shame that they haven't had a 10 game win streak in the franchise's history, man. I mean, <laughs> the only other team that doesn't have a double digit win streak in their history is the Orlando Magic. And they're oh, actually they're, they're younger than my kid's sister. So it's like. you got to get off that schneid at some point. And I know it's not the biggest statistic in the world. They do have a championship, which a lot of teams don't, but um, come on, man, you got to string together some, some wins in a row. And this San Antonio, I'm not even cracking on it from the standpoint of uh, the, the San Antonio game 
that was just a tough luck game because uh, it, it was the second of a back-to-back. It was poorly officiated. And I feel like that hasn't been said enough because there were some, uh, for lack of a better term, replacement referees because there have been some uh, some COVID protocol issues uh, that have adversely affected the, the, you know, the referees in the NBA for a time. But um just you got to be able to string together uh, some uh, a win streak of that uh, of that magnitude at some point in time, even if it doesn't happen this year. At some point, you got to give me ten in a row. No, and what's incredible about that stat is is that in the seventies, the the Bullets were a dominant team in the exactly. NBA, including getting exactly. The so I, I don't even want to talk about you know recent <laughs> struggles and hits. Yeah, 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 yeah. It makes you spin your head that wait a minute, that this is a team with Wes Unseld, Elvin Hayes, Earl Monroe, go right down the list. And you would have thought more than uh, nine games. Dave Preston, I know you might be looking at the clock for a sportscast. Your thoughts? Uh, yeah, again, I think I've said this in the last couple of weeks. It's just nice to be playing relevant basketball in April. I mean, we've had long winters with this team the last few years. I think one of the keys is the fact that Westbrook just brings this intensity that we didn't have a few years ago when this was a very talented team, but still was unable to get to that 50-win plateau. They would lose games to teams that they had no business losing to. They're not doing that nearly as much this year now that this team is together. Gaffer was a great pickup. Roy Hachimura continues to grow in his role. And it, it's it's just fun to see this team play with Beal and Westbrook in that backcourt. This this year has been a blast. And you know what? Who knows how many, uh, who knows what they do once uh, the playoffs or playing round begins and who knows what happens after this season, but they've given us a fun year to get back into basketball after last year's season kind of just went. Well, and to your point, uh, an Anthony Gill story doesn't happen. I don't think without the kind of uh, intensity that Russell Westbrook brings that here's a guy who barely plays any significant minutes since January 27th, then comes in and gets nine points, 10 rebounds, help him to secure that win against Oklahoma City, which was part of the eight-game winning streak, which, by the way, during that winning streak, they lost any Avdia to season-ending injury, and Rui Hachimura missed four of those games. So it's not like it was all good times, and yet they still found a way to eight games, but we've got to win more than that. Otherwise, Rob's kid sister ends up back in the conversation. <laughs> Dave, Dave, Dave I'm, 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 I'm curious your thought. Maybe there's recency bias on this. Well, what were your thoughts before the season started with the expanded postseason? And has this run and the position the Wizards are in now influenced your, your, your feeling on that? You know, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Uh, I didn't give it much thought because I was, I, for some reason, I keep having to Google how it works. It's seven versus eight, <laughs> nine versus 10. And then if you lose the seven, eight game, you play the winner of the nine, 10 game. So anything that taxes my brain that much, uh, I'm probably not for, so I, I, I wasn't necessarily that excited about it. But but I think it is it is uh, uh, it, it, look it's it's peaked interest. So as you said, the recency bias. But I'll, in perfect honesty, I, I didn't give it uh, a lot of thought, and and I still think that sometimes there's an argument for best of three in the first round because you'll get more upsets that way. But believe me, that horse has left the barn or the ship of sail. We're not going back from that way. <laughs> Because I'll, I'll say this, and having covered the Capitals, a team that, of course, has hovered around the top of the conference for the last decade plus, I I have been in favor. I'm, I'm the minority, but I, I like an expanded postseason in the NHL to adopt a similar format. And mm-hmm. since the start of the NBA season, I've been intrigued how this will potentially play out. And lo and behold, a local team is is a part of it now. But I'm, I'm intrigued, and, and I think that when they, the games do take place at the end of the regular season, when the, the play-in tournament happens, 
I think it's going to create a lot of buzz. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Well, and, and the fact that you've got to win a game, uh, it's win or go home or, or stay home. And, and so it, it's, it's like why we get so excited about the NCAA tournament. It's that, it's that one game drama when it's a best of, you know, seven series, you lose the first game. You're like, well, that's right. We'll, we'll, we'll figure it out or, or whatever. Any other thoughts from you, Ben, on the Wizards or anything else? Or um... just, just, just one last point on, on that. Just, it, it's funny because people suggest, and Rob, I'm not sure how you feel about this. People suggest you water down the postseason field by expanding it to 20 teams. I say, I look at it differently. I say now only 12 teams are guaranteed a spot in the round of 16. Right. And there's greater value. I think that race as well, I don't think you necessarily see it in the East in the NBA, but you do in the West. You're going to see it in the West, the race to finish in the top six. You know, the difference between five, six, seven, eight, it's quite a bit now. Whereas in years past, hey, you're, you're in the tournament. No, oh, I, agree with that. I, yeah. I agree with that. I mean, because we are, there's already kind of a tier you need to reach and it makes it harder to reach that tier. We're running out of time. Final thoughts from you, Rob Woodfork, on anything this week. I'm uh, I'm going to give you this one more draft nugget here. Uh, there has been a uh, rumor floating around that the Falcons are uh, not only willing to uh, move back from the four spot, but also willing to uh, trade Julio Jones. Hey, Baltimore Ravens, get to the front of that line. Julio Jones is like the embodiment of what a Ravens receiver is. He's big, he's fast, he's strong. At 32, he's had some injury issues. Yes, that, but I mean, you can sort of tailor the trade to that. Uh, I feel like that would be the number one guy uh, for the Ravens as they try to uh, get that uh, passing attack out of the NFL's, uh, the basement of the NFL rankings. Uh, I think that would be the sort of impact acquisition for Lamar Jackson taking the next step as a passer, kind of like what we saw in Buffalo with, uh, with, with, um, with uh, with Josh when he got uh, uh, the former Terp. Um, I don't know why I'm thinking blanking on his name right now, but anyways, it, this is this is the kind of move that can put Baltimore over the top if they can uh, make that make that move. Okay, on Diggs. Yeah, Diggs. I'm sorry, I don't know why I like I I could see his jersey number and I could see his face and I couldn't say his name for some reason. Right. And full disclosure, I was distracted by the message telling me to end this meeting. <laughs> Otherwise, we're going to get charged for it. And see, yeah, Ben, went to your Capitals Radio 24-7. You can find it on the app. A great way to listen to Capitals Radio. Your pregame show starts about seven hours before every game or something like that. What time can we catch coverage before, like, 7 o'clock games? Well, we'll say starting at 4, Dave. Well, Start see, there you go. Starting at, at 4. So I've already lied to Ben. I told him we'll do this in 15 minutes. I've killed a half hour of his day. But we appreciate Ben Raby. First time, last time, but it won't be his last time. Rob Woodfork, and of course, Dave Preston. I'm Dave Johnson, and yeah, boy, I'm getting another message. I better end this. That's it for this WTOP huddle. Break.